Where's a good station? Glory. Glory. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again, relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello, one and all, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. Thank you, Steve. It's glad to be back. Man, I had some... Uh, I went through it for the last few weeks, so... I know, you were attacked. Yeah. You can't call it anything else, because it was all invisible stuff. Scary, fretful, but I'm here, and uh, I'm back, and glad to be back. And that means I, you, you binded Satan... And he's he's in knots now. Tied him up. Tied him up. Put a lasso over Lucifer, as we've, they say. We've been having to bind Satan for the last two years, haven't we? Which brings to a great point, because that's the question we got. It is. It is. We've asked for questions. We got one. And it comes from Matthew 16, is the, the verse they quoted. Yeah. It's also in Matthew 18. So we're, to answer, we're going to have to do both. Do both. And before we answer it, I think it's, sometimes it's important to see what it doesn't mean before what you do. And the reason I say well, that... First, we should tell them what the verse is. That would be helpful. That would be helpful. <laughs> we're, we're talking about Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven... And whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We received a question about this specific verse asking, what in the world does it mean? What are the ramifications of it? Yeah, pretty wild verse. And it, it again, it repeated in chapter 18. Mm -hmm. And chapter 18 has a little more context to it. A little more specific, I think 1818, if I remember right. Yep, let me read it too. It says, if a man refuses to listen to the whole church, or refuses to listen to two or three of you, tell it to the whole church. And if he refuses to listen to the whole church, let him be as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And you might as well read 19 through 20, just Alrighty. to keep it in. All right. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, 
I'm right there in their midst. So before we answer the question, what does it mean? I think we should answer a question, what does it not mean? Because that is important. Yeah, yeah, that's important, Bill. You remember how Jesus started out chapter 15, the the chapter before 16? Mm Mm-hmm. It was one of those... The Pharisees came to him? Yes. And he said something. Jesus said, The traditions of men make the word of God of no effect. The traditions of men make the word of God of no effect. This verse, Whatsoever you bind in heaven shall be bound on earth, and whatever you loose in heaven shall be loosed on earth. When it's taught as traditions of men, and we've all been there, I've done it myself, it makes the word of God of no effect. It makes this statement, whatsoever you bind in heaven shall be bound on earth, or whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It makes the meaning of it of no effect. So if we go to, hate to say it, Christian TV or or radio, and we seen some of the the great names of the Word of Faith movement up there binding and loosening, and we say, well, that must be what it means. I have authority to bind and loose. And you understand this passage, this what Jesus said, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed on heaven. And you start binding and loosening and in the authority of God, you're binding the devil. I don't know what you're loosening, but you're binding the devil, loosening his mm-hmm. <laughs> his blessings. You've just got into a tradition of men, and it makes the meaning of this of no effect. So I'm guilty of doing that too, so I'll just throw my name out there. But when I believe that, it made this word of God here, the words of Jesus, the really of no, words of Jesus, of no effect, right? Because of their traditions, and that's what he just starts chapter fifteen. The Pharisees accuse Jesus of your disciples don't wash their hands, therefore they're defiled, right? And he he says it, it's not what goes into a person that defiles him. See that proves that there was COVID back then. That's how the traditions of men get started. Yeah, yeah. That's how taking something out of context gets started. So mm-hmm. context is very important. That statement's misused an awful lot. Yes. And overused by people that are, are not taking it in context. I heard a guy call it confirmation bias. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to do. You go find a verse, proves your point, proves your tradition, Instead of going to the verse, reading it in context, then making mm-hmm. a just, conclusion. Just like um, it's appointed once for a man to die and then to face judgment. And you already have a preconceived idea that you want to make the verse support yeah, your exactly. tradition. So we don't want to do that. We're giving you this warning because probably that's the number one reason that this verse is not understood because yes. it's it's tied into a tradition right out of the word of faith movement. Name it, claim it, frame it. So 
let's look at the first occurrence of this this verse in Matthew 60. Well, you know what, though? Come to think of it, can you give us an example of why it doesn't mean binding demons and casting mm-hmm, them out? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've never been able to get myself to actually bind the demon, loose a brother from the demon's grip myself. I've heard the teachings that say you have the authority. And when I've listened to their arguments, I've yet to find one that actually holds water. And I've had certain verses that just haunt me, being the Bible nerd that I am. I always let the the Bible verses supersede what I hear from the microphone. And I reject a lot of what I hear on the microphone because it just doesn't jive with verses like the verses I found in Second Peter 2.18. It says that angels are stronger than humans, yet they do not bring railing accusations against invisible beings. And then it says in Second Peter that these people that are so stupid, they actually dare to answer back to these invisible beings and they promise freedom even though they themselves are slaves. In, in other words, they promise They're the people bound. around Yeah, they, they promise the people around him, I can loose your change. I've got the keys to the kingdom. I can loose you from Satan when they're actually bound. bound themselves. And then it even says, Michael, the archangel, which is the head angel, when he was arguing with Satan, did not dare, the word dare, he did not dare bringing a reviling accusation against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you, not Steve. Well, when you read the, the passage in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, let's look at it the way it, it, it is in the Greek. Okay. Because it, it bears out what you said. And we talked about a, a passage in... In Acts, too. That's where, what, yeah. Oh, okay. Do, Go ahead. Do, do you remember in Acts where the some of the disciples went to this guy's house and said, we cast you out in the name of Jesus? And do you remember exactly what the demon said? Get a load of this. The demon said, Jesus, I recognize, and Paul, I know, but who are you? He didn't see any Jesus in them people. And then it says he beat them all up and they ran out of the house naked because he did not recognize Jesus in them and the authority that only Jesus Jesus in them has. They were trying to rebuke Satan without the power of God doing it. In other words, they should have said, the Lord in me cast you out. So that's why it's important that you don't let these traditions of men get into your thinking because they make the word of God of no effect. They'll keep you from missing what it's really saying. Those, those words affected me. Where it says, Michael the archangel wouldn't do anything. He said, the Lord rebuke you. I took that to heart. 
And I said, um, Lord rebuke Satan, not Steve. And Jude quotes a lot of a lot from pseudepigrapha writings, false writings, and Second Peter does as well. They're explaining what's false writings bring false thoughts and false doctrines, and we've embraced these as doctrines that nullify what the word is actually saying. Yeah, according to Jesus, these traditions make the word of God of no effect. You won't even be able to see what it's really saying until you, first of all, say, this isn't lining up with the word of God. Exactly. Angels who are stronger than you don't dare to revile these invisible entities. And I hear a microphone saying, you've got the authority to revile these invisible entities. You don't. I don't go for it. The, you, wor- the words of the Bible rule the day in my book. You don't have the authority. It's given to you. And it's his authority. It is his authority. And that's what this passage is saying in Matthew 16. If we, if you read it in the Greek, it literally says, Whatsoever you shall bind in heaven has been already been bound in heaven. It's a perfect tense verb. Yeah. Already bound is a perfect tense verb. And the definition for a perfect tense is a action that has already been done in the past and needs not repeating. That is important, folks. If it's already bound on earth, if it's already bound in heaven, heaven. perfect tense, Mm -hmm. needs not repeating, Mm -hmm. then why are we going to casting out demon seminars week after week after week and and binding and loosening, binding Mm -hmm. devils and loosening Mm -hmm. people? Before we even tackle that question, we should just let it absorb into us what that passage said. That passage said, if you find yourself binding something on earth, it means you're just copying what has already been done in heaven. You're following the script of God, the script of heaven itself. And here's the thing, guard dog Steve, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you shall bind has already been bound, and whatsoever you shall loose has already been loosed in heaven. So we're talking about something that's a finished work, not something that you're doing. You're getting a revelation of something that's already been done. You're not doing something. You're getting a revelation of the finished work of Christ, what he did. You're understanding that it has already been bound. Or loosed. Exactly. (laughs) And that brings up another question. If men are binding Satan, and it's a perfect tense... But forget that a second. Mm-hmm. Men are binding Satan. Who's going back and untying him? Yeah, again? who's letting him out? Who let the dog <laughs> out? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. No, it, it, one time in the Bible, it says Jesus bound Satan and he came out of the pit. But nowhere does it say that he's getting out 
and we're letting him out or something. But here's why it sticks. Here's why we can't escape it. We say, I saw it on TV. I saw a guy true, true. brought a An guy exorcism. up there. I saw it. There was devils were cast out of this person and he convulsed on stage and it was just an amazing sign from heaven that this is true. Oh, and the noises he made. Before we understand this passage, let's look at something else that we think, like we think we saw a sign. The Pharisees were always saying, show us a sign. In fact, at the beginning of chapter 16, didn't they say to Jesus, show us, well, let's just read it in context. Okay, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, that seems like a good question. Show us a sign and we'll believe you who you say you are. What's the problem with that? Man, show us he a- just showed him two huge signs. He, he fed nearly 18,000 people. With a few fish. Yeah, twice he fed the people with fish and loaves of bread. The sign was, I'm the bread from heaven. Mm-hmm. I'm the daily bread. Did they get it? No, they didn't. What about the disciples? Can you read just right past that in chapter 16? Yes, yes. And, but let me just point out that Jesus literally fed 5,000 people, got in a boat, went to the other side of the lake, and they said, show us a sign. It's almost funny. It is comical. Okay, now what were you asking me? What did the disciples make? They, they were there too. They yeah, collected 12 yeah, baskets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jesus says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And they said, oh man, we forgot the bread. <laughs> As if that's a problem. Right, right, for Jesus. He just fed two times over 7,000 people. And some say even more because women may not have been included. Mm-hmm. Let's just go with the low number. Yeah. 7,000 people. Seven loaves. I know it's no more than seven loaves. Mm-hmm. And I believe I saw the word small loaves, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. And two fish. 7,000 people ate well. ate well with 12 baskets of bread left over for all 12 of the disciples. And the 12 disciples, the very next day, say... We forgot the bread. <laughs> this is a problem. Yeah. Did did this sign produce faith? Not even in the disciples. Not even in the disciples. They saw the miracle with their own eyes and still were just like the Israelites after seeing the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, saying, Are, did you bring us out in the desert to let us die? And he started feeding them with manna. And started feeding them with manna, and they saw signs. The ten plagues were all signs. They were all signs of being bound. Remember, these ten plagues, 
were directly corresponded to the ten gods of the Egyptian world. Oh, okay. He whipped all of them. Okay, okay. He showed that he was superior to all of them, in a sense, bound them. They saw all that. Mm-hmm. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They sent 12 spies into the Promised Land, and only two believed they were well able to take it. The rest of them walked by sight. We'll get back to that in a minute because it's taken us away from the context. But back to chapter 16. The Pharisees asked for a sign. They'd already gotten the sign. The disciples got a sign. And he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They said, he must be talking about bread. He knows we forgot bread. They didn't get the sign. Then it goes on to say, what, after they, in chapter 16? Okay, I'll start in verse 11, or or verse 10. The seven loaves of the 4,000, and how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning the bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? I was never talking about bread. I was talking about their doctrines. Weren't these doctrines what he called the traditions of men in chapter 15 earlier? Yes. And didn't the these doctrines, these traditions of men make the word of God? of no effect, wasn't he saying the leaven of the Pharisees makes the word of God of no effect? Wasn't he saying the teaching of the Pharisees is on the traditions of men and it makes the word of God of no effect? Maybe isn't the miracle saying, of God. Of it, did, it made the sign of no effect. And isn't it, don't we have to take that into consideration when we're trying to understand what he says Next, because but, he, he's he's the next thing he says is, is he asks a question. Yeah, let's find a doctrine that the Pharisees don't believe in. Who do you say I am? What do the traditions of men say that I am? Exactly, a prophet or something. Yeah. What do you say I am to the disciples? And who do you say I am? Mm-hmm. The sign, Peter says, you are the son of God. And he says, the signs didn't work. The signs didn't help you. The signs didn't help you. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. Your human ability to reason did not reveal that to you. Your studying of the scriptures did not reveal that to you. Certainly the studying of the scriptures didn't reveal it to the Pharisees because they studied their Bibles. Memorized it. Memorized them, yeah. But their traditions made the word of God of no effect. So mm-hmm. there was something that was closed to them. Yes. Wasn't it? Yes. And I think the next verse said is going to explain it. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has given you this revelation. A revelation comes from God. Yes. A revelation is what will change your life. A revelation is what will set you free, what will loose you. A revelation is what will bind things that you don't want to deal with anymore, too. 
So what does he say after he's... Well, let's read it in context. Okay. Starting with... But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, Thou art the living God. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. It was revealed by my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of the grave shall not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you shall bind on earth is already bound in heaven and whatever you shall loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. So, wow, let's start to kind of unpack that. Okay. First thing he says is, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. So, he says, you have an earthly father. His name is Jonah, apparently. That's what Bar means, son of Jonah. Son of. But my father in heaven, which is also going to be Peter's father, but he doesn't know yet. He said, your earthly father didn't reveal that to you, and no one in the earthly realm revealed that to you. Flesh and blood. No flesh and blood, which is Adam, did not reveal that to you. But my father in heaven did. Heaven was open for Peter. Just like in John chapter 1, I think verse like 50 something, where it says, I told you what you were meditating on, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nathaniel, mm-hmm. but I tell you, you shall see greater things than these. You shall see an open heaven. Isn't that what he says here? I'm giving you the keys so that heaven, keys are what, what open things, unlock things. He says, I'm giving you the keys so you'll see an open heaven and then you'll see Whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. So you're not doing anything. You're getting a revelation of the finished work of Christ. Amen. Now, we're going to go into chapter 18 because it gives this bind and loose, open heaven. Mm -hmm. A little wider picture. A little wider picture. And actually gives just one aspect of the multi-sided wisdom of this verse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm, I'm in verse 18. And keep in mind, this is not the only side of wisdom to this verse, but it, but it is one. And I think you're going to find it very practical. You want me to start reading in verse 15? It talks about brother sinning. Yeah, let's, let's do that. In context. And remember, this is just one side. We've got to make this disclaimer that we're just showing maybe one aspect of the many-sided wisdom concerning the idea of binding and loosing. We're not saying we've this is done all the it. whole manifold wisdom about it and that's all there is to the issue. We're not saying that at all. We're saying we're giving you a smidgen of the issue. Just one aspect of the issue. Yes, smidgen's a good word. Just a smidgen. Okay, let me start in verse 15. And if your brother sins, go and reprove him. 
in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth, and I should say, is already loosed in heaven. Okay, so when he says tax collect, treat them as a tax collector or a Gentile, it's important to know that tax collectors were put out of the synagogue. Not allowed in. Not allowed in. Okay, that's, that is going to line itself up with 1 Corinthians and the 2 Corinthian letter about the idea of the king keys to the kingdom of heaven because Paul takes this idea and just magnifies it in those two books. But before that, I mean, but after that, you have to do this idea of being bound in unforgiveness, Bill. Can you remember to do that? We will. We'll do that afterwards because right now we're going to talk about the Corinthian church who didn't do this, yeah. what they were supposed to do. Yeah. They let the guy stay in church. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so to get a running start at the continuity between Matthew... 1619, Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, and 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to look at this thread that runs through each of them because it's very revealing about the keys to the kingdom of God. So I'm going to reread Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, one more time. And if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, that by the mouth of three witnesses it may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. But I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, remember in in chapter 16, he says, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians Chapter 5, and let's see what is going on in 1 Corinthians 5. Now, remember, later Bill's going to talk about an aspect of being bound by unforgiveness. But here we're looking at these keys to the kingdom of heaven and how Paul uses them. In 1 Corinthians 5, starting off in verse 1, it says, 
it actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife, and you have become arrogant. That, that, that means it's a case of incest. You've become arrogant and have not mourned instead, in order that the one who had done this deed might be removed from your midst. For on my part, although absent in the body but present, in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and with you in the spirit, I with you in the spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, meaning this guy's act will infect everybody. So, Paul is using the keys to the kingdom of God in saying, this guy, we're not associating with him anymore. Just like Jesus said, he's like a tax collector, somebody who's not allowed to come in our congregation anymore. We have set them aside because he's so infectious. He will hurt other people if we do not leave him outside of the church. And he says, if he is outside of the church, Satan will destroy his flesh and his spirit will be saved because, in other words, he'll repent. And the reason I say he'll repent is because of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul says, but if any person has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much to all of you, sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort this guy that you kicked out, lest some of you somehow such a one be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. You see, right there at the end, you have that idea of forgiveness again, something Bill's going to go off on in, in a few minutes. But I want you to see the continuity and how well-written the Bible is and how Jesus says to Peter, I'm giving you the kingdom, the keys to the kingdom. And then we see Paul using the keys to the kingdom and saying, this guy's a bad apple and he's infectious to the rest of the people. So get him outside of 
this body of people so he doesn't hurt anybody else. And so that by his own bad habits, he can bring himself to the end of himself and repent like the prodigal son. And once he's repented, the second letter says, forgive him and bring him back into the church. That's using the keys to let him back in. He used the keys to get him out of the church, and then he uses the keys to let him back in. He used the keys to bind him over to Satan. Do you remember 2 Timothy 24, that God would grant repentance and they would come to the knowledge of the truth and back to their senses and escape the trap of the devil to do the devil's will? Well, he was bound over to the trap of the devil and it did its thing and he prodigal sunned it. He repented and wants back in the church. And Paul says, use your keys to let him back in. Use your keys to unbind him from the power of Satan who's got him captive. It all makes sense. It's all It all blends together and makes perfect sense. So far, we haven't showed about understanding whether somebody's in the flesh or in the spirit. And if he's in the flesh, he's the person you should fellowship with. And when he's in the spirit, you don't fellowship with him. But you never hold against the person what the flesh did to you through the person. You forgive the person, you forgive the sinner, but hate the sin is the way the old cliche goes. You understand that he's in the flesh and if you got to kick him out or not fellowship with him, then, you know, regretfully that's the way it's got to be. But if he's back in the spirit, fellowship is great. He's not infectious and he's a pleasure to be around and he's edifying. Anybody in the spirit is edifying. But do you see how to understand I've given you the keys to the kingdom and understand all these ideas that Jesus articulated, you have to understand what the flesh and the spirit means and how much of this New Testament has been devoted to teaching you about the human nature and the spiritual nature that resides in in every believer, every reader of the Bible. That's the whole new covenant concept. So in that sense, we're, we're explaining what the keys to the kingdom of God are, what binding and loosing are. They're not, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> Because that takes the power of only Jesus. Only Jesus can do that. But binding and loosing has everything to do with everyday Christian church affairs. It's a temporal doctrine about how the church works. It's amazing how it's a subject we don't want to talk about because we think judgment is an end in itself and judgment in the Bible is always a means to an end. Doesn't it say in Isaiah 25, when your judgments are in the earth, people will learn righteousness. 
right after it says on that mount, speaking of Mount Zion, the veil will be removed. People will have an open heaven. And so you see clearly that judgment worked in this guy to bring about repentance and righteousness. And actually all they judge was whether he's in the flesh or in the spirit. They always said his spirit will be saved. His spirit was never in doubt. And his spirit wasn't judged. It was his, his eternal flesh. security was never in doubt. That was never in doubt either. So he learned righteousness through this judgment. Judgment worked its purpose and brought this guy to the end of himself. And so Jesus gave this, tell him yourself. If he doesn't listen, tell him, bring some people. If he doesn't listen to them, bring it to the church. If he doesn't listen to them, put him out. Let him be judged. He'll be overcome with sorrow. He'll repent, and he'll come back. And the better man he'll be. <laughs> yes, when yes. He does. He'll be someone that you want to fellowship with. And that's the profound majority of ways in which the keys to the kingdom of God are depicted or are used. That's the majority. But like we said before, it's just one aspect. There, there's another aspect that Bill's going to get into, which talks about how to attain personal freedom from bondage to, and it's actually to unforgiveness. Just keep this thought in mind. Paul said two things that were unsearchable, the wisdom of God and the judgments of God. How unsearchable are his judgments beyond tracing them? They have purposes that we, we can't even imagine. They have to be revealed, the purpose of it. And we just saw an example of a revelation of why judgment worked in this guy's life. Now, Peter brings up a question to Jesus. Three verses after Jesus says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be, have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven have been already past tense loosed in heaven. Peter says, well, how many times do I have to forgive someone? And then he offers up the number seven, thinking Jesus would be impressed. Which in context is, how many times do I have to lose someone? To release them, to lose, yes. yes. Up to seven times? Jesus said, no, I tell you up to 70 times. Now, why would he say that? It's the same principle. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall already have been bound in heaven. But whatsoever you loose on earth or release on earth shall have already been released in heaven. <clears throat> so he gives him the keys to the kingdom. Keys open. He's saying that with an open heaven you'll be able to forgive a person 70 times 7 because you'll see that they've already been released from that sin. Isn't that the same thing that happened when they stoned Stephen? And as they were stoning him, he looks up to heaven. And what does he see? An open heaven. He had the keys to heaven. So yeah, he had the keys to open heaven. And what he saw was Jesus actually was seated 
and he stands up, in a sense, to applaud Stephen for what he's about to do. And he says, do not hold this sin against them. They acted in ignorance. He's able to forgive them. And Peter is asking Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive them? Is seven enough? And he says, up to 70 times seven. Because Peter, forgiving them is for you too. It's not just for them. You're not forgiving them. They've already been forgiven. Right? Isn't that what mm-hmm. it says? Mm-hmm. It's already been done. The They've already been yeah. loose. Yeah, forgive as your heavenly Father, Father has forgiven you, you past tense. Past tense. Mm-hmm. You need a revelation of the finished work of Christ. You need to see that he's the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. He, you need a revelation that one died for all, therefore all died. You need to see that forgiveness was provided for every person, even if they acted in ignorance. Didn't Paul say the same thing, that I was a blasphemer and a persecutor in the church, but God was merciful to me because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. When you forgive someone that's done something as egregious as this guy, you're not only forgiving him, you're also releasing yourself from tormenting anguish that will make you sick to your stomach, that will make you full of bitterness. It did it for me. When you carry around unforgiveness and bitterness, you're torturing yourself. You need to be released from that. Can you imagine how much bondage and how how broken the husband of that wife, his soul was, and how he needed to be set free from that bondage to bitterness over his son? That's a tough one. There's plenty of people in the 20th century, their parents have abused them. And they have that horrendous violation to forgive. And it really does take the loosing done by the Spirit to forgive at that level. level. Forgiveness is not something you can work up in yourself and say, I'm just going to forgive them because it's the Christian thing to do. Forgiveness comes from a revelation. Just like everything comes from a revelation. That's why it's so important, these prayers that Paul prays for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. He prays that their eyes would get enlightened. They'd know the hope of their calling. He prays that they would get a revelation of the height and depth and width and length of the love of God and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. The knowledge that this person wronged me can be surpassed by the knowledge of the forgiveness of God and the love of God. Great. We love him because he first loved us. We love other people because we've been loved. We forgive other people because we've been forgiven of so much. When we start to realize the things we've done to other people and how God forgave us, it comes from a revelation. It doesn't come from sign. We talked about that earlier. They saw signs 
that Jesus was the Messiah. They saw signs that he was the bread of life. What did those signs get them? Nothing. Those signs are not what bring revelation. It is the spirit of God. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is what reveals you. and It makes you able to forgive other people and not carry around this burden that will just cripple you. And that's just one small aspect of, like we said earlier, that is just one aspect of binding and loosening. To me, it's an important one because it's practical. I know a lot of people that carry around bitterness, and bitterness seems to be attached to unforgiveness. And it does. It really does. It really does, Bill. And it, it's rampant in our church. It's, it's probably the one thing that our church can't get over. A lot of things the church gets over, but very few people get unbound from their bitterness. But the keys are there. The unbindability is there. And we've kind of, just to conclude, we've kind of gone over probably the two most used concept of binding and loosening. We didn't really go over the idea of get the demon out of the person. There needs to be another but that is spoken of. They beat that horse to death. So we didn't go over that. But hopefully we've introduced some rev. Hopefully you got some rev out of it. So some new insight into what it means to have the keys to the kingdom of God. Good biblical insight. But with that in mind, do you want to close us in prayer? Yeah, with that in mind, I'd like to use one of these prayers for that God would give to each one of us someday, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Someday we're going to have to do a podcast on how much that benefited and changed our lives. Just these prayers for wisdom and revelation. Because we owe it all to you. It is. It's, it's got to be a whole podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was trying to put it in one thought and I it, can't. Uh-uh. No. But okay. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you did give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding are being enlightened. We ask you to enlighten the eyes of our understanding, that we would know the hope of our calling, that we would know the the incomparably great power that's available to us, like the working of your mighty strength, which you exerted in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, not only in this age, but the age to come. And you've put all things under your feet. It's already done. It's a finished work. Open our eyes to that aspect and free us up to live in your grace and abide in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, Lord, free us from the agony of bitterness, Lord. Jesus' name. We love you guys. Have a good night. Love you guys. Good night.